On today's episode of the Locked On Texan Podcast, Cody has a great conversation with Cole Thompson from Sports Illustrated. We also continue to look at important storylines heading into training camp. Also, Davis Mills, players getting worked out. Texans are still working in spite of. Cody, let's start the show today. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to a Tuesday edition of the Locked On Texan Podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm John Hickman. This is Cody Davis. We are joined by Cody Thompson of Sports Illustrated later today in the show. That's going to be a fun and great segment. However, we got to start off with some terrible news. Back-to-back days, Cody. Very unfortunate. Yesterday, we talked about John Mechie. He went down. Well, he'll be out for the remainder of the year due to leukemia. And the conversation sparked up, well, who could replace John Mechie? Immediately, Cody and I and, and pretty much everyone that we talked to, John Crumpler, who we had on Monday's show, there are a lot of people on Twitter, immediately went to familiarity, which was Danny Amendola. Well, hmm. today, Danny Amendola announced that he will be retiring from the NFL. I guess he got on Indeed, saw the Texans were hiring <laughs> and said, uh, no, thank you. Uh, very unfortunate, I think so, uh, for Houston. I, I thought that was a, a perfect pairing. If you're going to bring somebody in that has worked with your quarterback before, but Danny Amendola officially retiring from the NFL. Great career for Danny Amendola. Two-time Super Bowl champ. Played a, a pivotal role for the Patriots, winning those rings. However, for Houston, I think that is a blow to the possibility of bringing in a veteran wide receiver that's on the market. Well, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's unfortunate news for the Houston Texans. And yes, I understand he is one of the guys that you and I talked about um, as a possible replacement for John Mitchie. However, John listeners and viewers, um, you know, John Mitchie or not, we are all still expecting this offense to take on um, a new dynamic for this upcoming season. And if you bring in Danny Amendola, I just feel like we're going to see the same wide receiving core that we saw last year. However, with that being said, John, I'm not surprised that Danny Amendola decided to retire. Um, I remember I had an opportunity to do an exclusive interview him, with him on Locked On Texans back in December. And if you guys go back, and I'm going to put it somewhere in one of these descriptions, but if you guys go back and you take a listen to that interview, you could kind of start getting a sense that he was ready to retire because at the time he had went down with a minor, I think it was an ACL tearing his knee that had him out for a couple of weeks. He did come back um, for the last, I think the last two games of the regular season. And, you know, it would just seem it for, for when you go back and you take a look at that interview, it seems like he was saying, you know, after this season, he's hanging hanging it up. Of course, he talked about the, the great career he had as a member of the New England Patriots, talked about some of his great moments throughout his career. And one of the things that he said, the last thing on his bucket list was to finally have an opportunity to play for his hometown, to play for the Texans. And 
that's what he that's what he did last season. Um, by the way, I do want to give us a, um, a, a shout out to Danny Amendola because he did provide somewhat of a spark to this subpar wide receiving core. John, you heard me say this stat a lot. Um, the only difference between him and Chris Conley was a 70, 71 yard um, receiving yard difference between the two. Um, and that lets you know how much um, Davis Mills was actually targeting Amendola because Amendola only played eight games and Chris Conley played 16 games. And like I mentioned, the fact that there is only a 71 yard difference between the two says a lot of what Danny Amendola meant to this organization on the field. Yeah. Last year, the last game of the year against Tennessee, Danny Amendola ripped Tennessee's defense for 113, Mm. two touchdowns, seven catches. Danny Amendola has also mentioned that he talked to Adam Sheffer and he's ready to pursue various outside interests, including broadcasting networks. A lot of these NFL players, uh, and, I, and I love this, by the way, a lot of the NFL players are going to the booth for Sundays or Saturdays, and I love it. Uh, I just think this was a player that Houston really probably could have used right now in wake mm-hmm. of what happened with John Mechie. Now, also, Houston did work out Max Borgie, a Washington State running back. He's a good straight-line rusher. yards per carry for his career. Very effective as a pass catcher. His first two years at Washington State caught 139 passes for 971 yards and nine touchdowns. His game models Rex Burkhead, and uh, I like it right now. When we talked yesterday about replacing the possible idea of what we believe John Mechie would possibly be for this offense, we talked about how it was going to take – multiple guys doing uh, things that they may not be used to at this level right now. And I mentioned how the running backs are going to have to step up, step up and be better pass catchers. Um, this is a skill set of his. Maybe Houston gets him on for this 90-man roster, brings him into training camp where it starts on Friday, and, and, and maybe something to happen. If not, then we'll just keep going and talk about whoever else Houston brings in. But I'm not against it right now. I think this is a very cool idea to bring him in because – how effective he's been as a pass catcher out of the backfield for Washington State for four years. Cody, you're going to like this. Davis Mills ranked 27th quarterback. Oh, my gosh. This was a list put together by Mike Sando, 27th out of 32. This list was comprised by 50 NFL coaches and execs, including six GMs, eight head coaches, 10 evaluators, 12 coordinators, six quarterback coaches, and seven execs whose specialties include analytics and game management. Out of 32, Davis Mills is 27. Not necessarily too mad about that. I would personally like to see who else is on that list. But, Cody, 27? I mean, take it easy before you breathe a little bit before you speak because I'm sure you're going to be one of the few that is up in arms over this. I'm not going to be up in arms because I expect it at this point, John, listeners and viewers. And let me just say this, and I'm going to leave it like this. Starting Friday, we're going to see whether or not Davis Mills deserve more respect. Because I guarantee you there's no way in hell for the 100th time if you're doing a quarterback ranking. I'm not about to sit here and say Davis Mills deserve to be in the top 10 or top 15 or whatever the case might be. But. I guarantee you, 
Zach Wilson was placed higher. I guarantee you Trey Lance was placed higher. I guarantee you that Trevor Lawrence was placed higher. I guarantee you, and I hate to say this because I really do like the young man, Justin Fields was placed higher. I will say a defensive coordinator did say that he loved this kid. This is a defensive coordinator who went against Davis Mills last year. Uh, He continued with, I think he is so poised. He stands in the pocket. He is able to deliver the ball. I think he knows where to go with the ball. He throws a pretty ball. He throws a catchable ball. He sees the field. He's a three. So uh, one defensive coordinator spoke highly of Davis Mills. A personnel director said he really liked his composure. He makes plays in the passing game. Doesn't have the best arm, but is an inadequate passer. He reminds me of a better Andy Dalton. Hmm. Andy Dalton was a franchise quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals for nearly 10 years. And so maybe Davis Mills with a better support and could possibly uh, do the same for the Houston Texans. If you are living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet, it can be very stressful when unexpected expenses come up. I understand that. I've been there. Myself, everybody has, right? But now Dave can help you get out of a pinch when you really need it. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. There's more money. That's more money for bills, more money to fill your tank, more money for a wedding gift if you have a friend that's jumping the broom. You can finally tackle those expenses that has been stressing you out without any Hangups, there's no interest and no credit check needed. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That is D A V E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to Dave.com/slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve and member FDIC. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to this Tuesday installment of Locked On Texans. And as promised, I have my colleague from Sports Illustrator, Cole Thompson. Cole, what's going on, my guy? And welcome back to Locked On Texans. (laughs) I feel like that. I should just be a stable here. But more specifically, I'm just glad that we actually have something to talk about because of we're, what are we now, 72 hours away from actually being on the practice field? I mean, like, that's that's a big, big plus for us because... All we hear in the offseason is, are they going to do this? What's going on with that? And then we go to OTAs and we go to minicamp and we see just a glimpse of a little bit of promise. <laughs> now we actually get to see what this whole team is about. How much have they improved underneath Lovey Smith and Nick Casario in year two of the retooling, as Casario does not like the word, re- <laughs> rebuilding for some reason. When we all know what you're saying, Nick. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, I want to get your thoughts on the loss of John Mechie uh, potentially for the season. As you saw on Sunday, he announced that he is going through a battle of leukemia. Thankfully, it is one of the most curable forms, but at the end of the day, you know, shout out prayers to John Mechie. Um, Cole, what are your thoughts on the loss of John Mechie? And not only that, how do you see the loss of John Mechie actually um, affecting this this Houston Texans offense moving forward? Well, for starters, as an Alabama alum, I would just like to send my condolences and a roll tie to Mechie and his family during this difficult process. You know, it is very curable, uh, treatable. Uh, you know, the, the most significant name that was brought up with this process in the past was Chuck Pagano during his first mm-hmm. season at the helm when he was in Indianapolis. And eventually Bruce Arians got the opportunity to coach with Andrew Luck, and that led to him getting the Arizona Cardinals job. But we know that this is a very treatable process, so Mechie should be fine uh, in the long term with his health. 
here's the thing. Nick Casario said at the very beginning of camp, we are not going to rush Mechie Nack. And that was from the torn ACL. So whether or not he was diagnosed with leukemia, if he was put on the NFI list or the PUP list at the start of the year, that should not come as any surprise. One of the main factors with Casario in this process for the retooling of the Texans is they are not going to risk long-term injuries for this rookie class because these are players who are first and second round picks. These are names that we're featuring that are supposed to be part of the long-term foundational process. So a guy like John Mechie, if he was not fully capable of returning at capacity to run routes, work after the catch in the slot, uh, build that repertoire and connection with Davis Mills and the other receivers. He was not going to practice. He was going to be on the PUP. He was going to be limited. And that is a big factor. And I do love that not only the Texans, but also the organization and and Mechie are both agreeing, we want to work about this for the long term. Uh, The one thing Mm -hmm. that this does mean for him is that he is going to have, uh, on top of all the love and support and care and treatment for his leukemia, he is going to have time to fully rehabilitate that torn ACL to where by the time he comes back in 2023 or late, late, late in 2022, he will be fully ready to go. We won't have to worry about him being on the PUP list. We won't have to worry about seeing him take any regression. It will be a positive progress for him moving forward. Now, for the Texans, one loss is one gain for someone else. Mechie was mm-hmm. going to be a clear-cut, uh, automatic, top fi- uh, final 53-man roster. He was not going to get cut. He was going to be a part of the staff. So this is an opportunity for one of these younger receivers, like maybe a Drew Estrada from Baylor or a Johnny Johnson III from Oregon, who averaged 12.5 yards per catch last season with the Ducks, to maybe take that place and make the final 53-man. But it also is an opportunity for one of these veterans, the Philip Dorsett's, the Davion Davises, the Chris Moores, the uh, Chris Conley's all of them to fight for that number three role. And if all else fails, well, the Texans now know we need to add a reliable slot target for our quarterback if we want to be successful, primarily on third down. Uh, We've seen this a lot. You know, there's been links to him for a minute because if he grew up in the greater Houston area, Cole Beasley being a potential Mm -hmm. option, Emmanuel Sanders, who grew up in the Dallas area, went to SMU, could be another potential option. Uh, A name that got floated around that I actually really think would be intriguing as a vertical threat if they were to remove that kind of process from Brandon Cooks would be the actual Texans killer himself, T.Y. Hilton, because if he's still a free agent and... Imagine him working with Davis Mills and the success that he had with another former Stanford quarterback in Andrew Luck. Maybe that's a potential, but this is an opportunity for the Texans to really broaden their horizons, see what they have in the slot position. And also it gives an opportunity for these younger fringe roster players to maybe make the cut because Mechie is now on the NFI list. Mm. You said something that really caught my attention. You talked about, you know, throughout these press conferences that you and I have been a part of ever since the draft, um, Nick Casario has talked about a lot about the long-term plans with these rookies. And, of course, the number one rookie that the Houston Texans have is Derrick Singley Jr. With training camp starting up on Friday, do you have any type of concerns on whether or not Derrick Stanley is going to be able to take the helm as this team's number one cornerback? Because, look, like like I say here a lot on this show, you're looking at a guy who only played three games last season. He's coming off a very serious foot injury, and you was there along with me. Going all the way back to rookie um, minicamp, we have not seen Derrick Stanley participate in any, any real f- true um, on-field activities with the rest of his teammates. 
Look, uh, to be fair, I, I do think that Derek Stingley is going to pan out and be a very capable number one cornerback in the NFL for a very long time. But to put the pressure on him as a kid coming off of a lymphistic injury that required major surgery on his foot that takes potential time. I mean, Kevin White had the same type of injury when he was with the Chicago Bears and never recovered. To say that he's going to be your number one cornerback right on the get-go is a bit of an outlier. So uh, to answer your question, for that number one status, yes, I have a lot of concerns. I have a multiple amount of concerns because we have not seen him practice against Brandon Cooks. We have not seen him gone up against Nico Collins. We have not seen him gone up against even guys like Chris Moore and Philip Dorsett who have that speed and that capability to win as vertical options down the field. So there are some concerns, but that is why Nick Casario, after the draft, uh, made sure they went and addressed the quarterback position or before the draft, and added in Steven Nelson, who mm-hmm. is a very capable number two cornerback, and at the very beginning of the year, potentially could be lining up against those number one receivers, those Michael Pittman uh, juniors, those uh, uh, the Christian Kirks in Jacksonville, the uh, Amari Coopers when they face off against the Cleveland Browns, if Stingley's not back. Now, again, Stingley was drafted to be the number one guy, and I do think that he is fully back in course to where he's probably going to start at some point very early on, hopefully week one. But it would not shock me if you see him go up against the team's number two receiver to start to get acclimated with playing defense, to get up to NFL speed, to work alongside these receivers, because that is a major factor. But again, you know, this was, in my opinion, one of two right picks for Houston. Uh, You you know, we had heard throughout the entire offseason the importance from Lovie Smith to get a bona fide number one cornerback. And it felt Mm -hmm. like down the stretch, it was going to be Sauce Garner from Cincinnati, who went one pick later, or it was going to be Stingley. So it was Stingley or Sauce. Ultimately, what I like about this is that Nelson has the experience to where he can come into camp, kind of be that vocal backbone of what you need for a young cornerback like Stingley. And to begin the year, you know, against a team like Indianapolis and a few other of those high-profile games, if you need him to match up against a number one receiver, well, he probably can do it while Stingley plays the number two and gets slowly adjusted to the NFL. So there are some concerns, but it's the concerns of him going up against that number one guy and getting torched that will hurt his confidence for the long term, rather than it is that short term. And again, cornerback is honestly one of the toughest positions to transition from the collegiate level to the professional level. So he is going to take a lot of time. I mean, AJ Terrell was one of the few names that had a very decent rookie season. And then in year two, he popped. And now we're talking about him like an all pro top five cornerback. I mean, that could be the very similar case with Derek Stingley. And we're more so looking at 2024 with him being a top 10 cornerback versus 2023 with him being, you know, maybe top 25 and being that number one guy it's more so just about getting him acclimated with lovey smith's defense do you believe there's going to be i guess for the sake of this argument as we sit here right now on july 26 2022 a couple of days away um from the start of training camp do you believe there's going to be a battle for that number two cornerback because yes steven nelson was a tremendous um signing for the texans doing for agency however you still got tavier thomas who was probably arguably their best DB going back the last season. Yeah, but the the problem is it's not going to be at that number two perimeter cornerback spot. It's going to be the nickel cornerback spot, and that's going to be between Tavier Thomas and Desmond King because King last year had to play on the outside because he was the only one that was consistent at getting those stops against bigger receivers. And naturally, he's been a nickel defender since coming out of Iowa back when he was drafted by the Chargers in 2017. And he's an all-pro nickel defender, so he has the experience and the reps to be a very good run-based defender, but at the same time, 
there was not a player that impressed more down the stretch and really for most of the second half of the season defensively than Tavier Thomas. So Mm -hmm. you look at how he actually took strides in this Lovey Smith zone-based defense, he's going to have an opportunity to show that he is the number one cornerback. And then what you're going to have is kind of that battle for the number two spot, maybe on the perimeter with Desmond King and Steven Nelson, or you're going to have King have to work his way in at some other capacity. Maybe they'll try him at safety if things don't work out with guys such as Jonathan Owens and MJ Stewart and uh, Eric Murray along with Jalen Petrie. So they can always try that. But I feel like Nelson was brought in for a reason. And that was to start on the outside because if he has the length, he has the agility, he has the mental quickness, he has the lateral movement, he has all the capable tools of what you're looking for in a decent number two cornerback. The real battle for me is the inside with nickel defender because Thomas had a really, really, really strong season last year, especially toward the end of the year. Mm. But at the same time, one year is not enough to guarantee that he's going to be a bona fide superstar long-term. And the same thing can be said about Desmond King. Can he get back to being that all-pro potential nickel defender and compete with Thomas? Mm. There's a lot that's been made about Pep Hamilton taking over as this team offensive coordinator heading into camp. What are some of the intangibles that you are going to be looking at in terms of how you want to see this offense ran for this 2022 campaign? I got to see what that what that 12 personnel is going to look like with the tight end position because mm-hmm. they went out and they've said multiple times, Tim Benedict, the new tight end coach, Pep Hamilton, Lovey Smith, our offense is catalyzed based off of our 12 personnel. We want to run two tight end sets. Benavich, who worked with Hamilton when he was the OC in Indianapolis, replacing uh, um, uh, Bruce Arians, said in the office they had so much to work with with the 12 personnel. That eventually led to them getting Colby Flinger, and that eventually led to them getting Jack Doyle, and that eventually forced them to have to run more of a two tight end set. With Houston, what's going to be really interesting is how do they do the two tight end set because – Brevin Jordan is a really up-and-coming, good receiving aspect, but he offers very little as an inline blocker. But at the same time, when you look at the position, are you going to run a 12 personnel with two tight ends tight, or are you going to have one be a flex option, one with the hand in the dirt as your traditional wide tight end? And who's going to step up and be that number two tight end? Is it going to be Pharaoh Brown, who did have a very promising mini camp, but we've also seen him have a ton of drops in games. We've also Hmm. seen him regress immensely in pass pro and as a run blocker. They added in Tegan Kieran Toriano from Oregon State with a six-round pick. And I like Ken Toriano as a blocker, but can he be an efficient pass catcher in the red zone? He says he models his game after George Kittle, drafted near the same slot as where Kittle was. Maybe the Texans have that. Is Anthony O'Claire going to be able to step up as more than just a blocking tight end? And is there anybody else out there that maybe takes those right needs to be that number two? Ultimately, the way this offense is going to be catered is 12 personnel, 12 personnel, 12 personnel. I think that the Texans are probably going to be in the top five when we see 12 personnel reps for the season in snap counts. Who's going to be that number two tight end? And who's going to be able to win that traditional wide tight end position opposite of Brevin Jordan? That's the really big thing that I'm looking at. Hmm. Last question before getting out of here. What are some of the intangibles that you're going to be looking at for Davis Mills? You can't talk about the offense without talking about this team's starting quarterback. I'm not going to call him the franchise quarterback as of yet. (laughs) I I think that's kind of it. Does he take the right steps? And by the way, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's funny because I have a buddy who covers the Jaguars and he tweeted out not too long ago, Davis Mills might be the most overrated quarterback in the NFL. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, Okay, let's type, let's pause, let's pause for a fast. <laughs> Number one, 
Nobody's overrating Davis Mills. And if they are, they're very desperate for an actual franchise quarterback. So that's kind of the reason why. But number two, I think that we all can admit that Mills exceeded expectations last season. Thank you. And he still is a bottom 10 quarterback going into this year. I think that we can admit that both things can be true. And again, (laughs) that's kind of the process of what you're looking at. He got better when it came to his completion rating. He got better Mm -hmm. with his decision-making. His red zone offense in the final five starts was the highest in the NFL. I mean, these are just stats, man. They're not like us being fake. But we also can admit anybody who has covered the team, anybody who has seen the Texans live, anybody who has a functioning brain that you should trust to actually give you the right information will say Davis Mills has not proven that he is the franchise quarterback. So the number one goal I think that we're all looking at is – do the Texans have a viable option for these next 17 games? And that's kind of what we're at with Davis Mills. It is a 17-game audition, and every game is going to be a new audition to where Pep Hamilton, Levy Smith, and Nick Casario sit down and say, okay, positives from game one, positives from game two, negatives from game one, negatives from game two. Where did he improve? Where did he regress? And by midseason, you will kind of have an understanding. Okay, we can win with Davis Mills if we get him better supporting cast members. Mm -hmm. Or, okay, we have two first-round picks. There's a very good shot that we're picking top five. We have guys like Tyler Van Dyke from Miami. We have guys like Will Levis from Kentucky. Not to mention C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, Mm -hmm. Bryce Young from Alabama. We know that we need to upgrade our pass rush, and Will Anderson is going to be available. We also have that extra first-round pick. Do we want to move up to get not only a superstar pass rusher for our defense, but also a future quarterback for our offense, somebody that we believe that has that franchise capability? There's nothing wrong with saying that Davis Mills exceeded expectations last year, but there's nothing also wrong with saying he is a bottom-10 quarterback going into this season, and there's still immense amount for him to prove before we can say he is the F-word. And I'm not going to say that F-word <laughs> because, let's be real, F means a lot of different things in Houston right now. I think the worst one is actually franchise because, oh my God, finding a franchise quarterback is – it's like shooting – a fish in a barrel of hay and honestly you know it's already dead like let's be real we're we're, we're, we're screwed either way so you might as well just bank on him taking those necessary steps that's all you're looking for at this point does he have any bit of franchise capability in his body cole thompson's texans beat reporter for sports illustrated cole really quick where can our listeners follow you at on twitter and be sure to plug in all of your work so make sure you give me a follow at Mr. Cole Thompson. I do a lot of great coverage for NFL and college football for all of sports, uh, sports Illustrated's media market. And if you want to listen to me every single day, 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. or on podcast form, because let's be real, nobody wants to get up at that time besides yours truly. You got to get my beauty sleep. Uh, you can listen to my show, Just Saying It, part of the Sports Map Radio Network. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast listening systems. Thanks for making Locked On Texans your first listen today. Now make your second listen to Locked On NFL Podcast. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't equal a break in the action. Make sure you guys are checking out the Locked On NFL Podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Texans. Cody, I, uh, I, I feel a way. And we're going to talk about storylines. So what I'm about to say is going to be very brief. You guys may disagree with me, and I personally I don't care because I don't want to see this team not be competitive. I'm seeing a lot of people just say that we should just roll here in Houston. The Texans should roll with who they have on the roster at wide receiver. And, Cody, you and Cole had a conversation, and Cody mentioned this first 
off air before he mentioned it on air yesterday that well where was really what what was John Mechie's real expectations basically in this offense because he hadn't really participated in OTAs and he was still working his way back from an injury and I get that however there is a such thing as just talent beating talent and when we look at this depth chart for the wide receiver group the most talented of course Brandon Cooks after that we expect it to be Nico Collins, who, by the way, I think he finished a year off very well last year. I am expecting for him to build off on it. But after that, when we look at pure talent, man-beating-man talent, again, all of these guys are in the NFL, so they are talented. But this wide receiver depth chart, after those first two players, kind of reminds me a little bit of what this defensive line depth chart looks like for the interior guys. Hmm. Yeah, you're talented. Yeah, you're in the NFL. However, are you really a staple moving forward, or are you a rotational piece? And when I look at the depth chart for the Houston Texans at wide receiver and the defensive interior defensive line, I'm not sure who's on the bubble and who's not on the bubble, and we're not even in training camp already. Hmm. Right? And so I say that to say this. It makes 100% sense to go out there and try to upgrade your wide receiver room because if you don't the message it sends to me when i watch teams like the chargers who already had keenan allen got mike williams went out there and 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 put a a very adequate a very good receiving core around their young quarterback right when i look at what the dolphins are doing in year three with Tua tukavaloa bringing in tyreek hill and trying to put a good wide receiving core around him when I look at these young quarterbacks around the league, like the Jets, what they're trying to do with Zach Wilson, so there's no more excuses. I I want the same thing here in Houston for Davis Mills because, again, if it doesn't happen and if there's not talent around him, good talent around him, then the very next season we're going to be talking about how it wasn't fair, how he should hmm. be judged because he doesn't have what the rest of the league have. Well, right now, Houston, they have an opportunity to do so. They have an opportunity to go out there and maybe look at exploring a a signing for Cole Beasley. And if you really want to compete, and if you really want to give your quarterback, your young quarterback in year two who struggled last year up until he got some rhythm with his veteran wide receiver, if you want to give him a shot, give him a chance, then I wouldn't be upset if you explore a trade. And I've seen the, well, you you don't want to make a trade. You don't want to trade an asset. And the guy doesn't stay for more than one year. Houston has a lot of money next year. So if they trade for a wide receiver and give up one of those assets, those maybe that third or second round pick, depending on who the player is, they'll have the money to get him signed in. And if it's not Davis Mills, at the very least, if it's not Davis Mills, well, it's for your next quarterback that you're going to potentially draft or maybe sign a free agent next year as well. Let's not get okay with being mediocre. Put the talent in the building. And again, when we look at this wide receiver group, it is not that talented in terms of the rest of the NFL, not the street clothes guys, not me. I know I'm not talented at playing wide receiver, but with the rest of the young quarterbacks in the NFL, it's nowhere near it. And that's a problem that should be addressed. (laughs) Whoa, John, that got you kind of fired up today, huh? (laughs) I just I we, we believe this young man can do well. Cody, you've mentioned you believe this young man is better than Zach Wilson. However, mm-hmm. going into this year, the Jets have a very good, talented 
a very talented receiving core, right? And, and they went out and got Gary Wilson. They, they, they still have players that they brought in from last, the last couple of seasons. They have talent on that receiving core. So now it will be a fair shake if in year two there's no immediate jump or some type of significant jump in Zach Wilson game. We can really point to say you are not a franchise quarterback right now. But if we don't do the same for Davis Mills, then again, we're going to have the same conversation. Didn't get a fair shade. There wasn't enough talent around him. Also, now you're looking at a quarterback that's going to come to Houston next year. Well, why not invest into a wide receiver now? Because if it's not Davis Mills, it's going to be whoever else is behind center. The game is still won with playmakers, guys. And Houston lacks those. So Mm. let's change that. Mm. Storylines, Cody, what we got? And I 100% agree with you, and I do think next to, you know, given everything that took place on Sunday, um, next to John Mechie being out, the biggest storyline surrounding this wide receiving core is who's going to step up, whether, who, are they going to sign another wide receiver to help fill that void? So that's on the wide receiver end. Last last week, we talked about everybody else on the offensive side of the ball, and prior to training camp, I do want to shift our attention to the defensive side of the ball, starting with the defensive line. John, the biggest storyline to me is whether or not this this defensive line is going to validate Nick Asirio's decision to not draft wow. a defensive edge rusher in this upcoming draft. Or and I say that, uh, yeah, or D tackle. You and you just finished talking about the interior defensive line, John. You know, I I do believe going back to the 2021 draft that Nick Casario has done a phenomenal job, but I do believe there was a missed opportunity that he did not address that defensive line during the draft, especially considering when he made that move and got that 15th overall draft pick and you had a guy, Jermaine Johnson, still on, still on the board and you took Keon Green. Now, I, I do believe in Green. I believe he's going to be a very good or very reliable player, not just throughout his career, but heading into his rookie season. However, you had Jermaine Johnson, who was what arguably the second best edge rusher, the, the second best defensive lineman going into this draft. And it's kind of ironic that you just finished talking about the New York Jets because that's the organization that had an opportunity to draft him with the number 26 overall pick. So we know the potential of John Gennard, but can he stay healthy? We know the potential of a Roy Lopez, but will he be able to carry that consistency that we saw through his rookie year to his sophomore season? And look, everybody else on this on this defensive front, there's a big-ass question mark, i.e. Ross Blacklock for the third consecutive year. Where are you? Well, let me say this. I think for the third consecutive year, for the second consecutive year, we're going to see a better version of Ross Blacklock. We have to remember that him coming into the league was very unfortunate times for the Texans, right? Like he mm-hmm. he was a 40th overall pick because – and Houston got him at 40 because of the trade with Arizona. That is going to be on his resume whether he likes it or not. But on top of that, more importantly, his very first year was when Anthony Weaver, who didn't have a clue – about what he wanted to do with his with his defensive front or just defense period. Remember the exotic, I want to do exotic looks <laughs> from Anthony yeah. Weaver. So it was a lot of unfortunate events that happened his rookie year. Last year, you saw him kind of get settled in, and the game looked more comfortable as the year as the year went on. The weeks went on, game by game. And so for this year, I, I and I got away from wanting to put a number on success for for Ross Blacklock, mainly because he's mm-hmm. a hometown kid, and I really want to see him do good. He's from Mo City, and 
if you guys really know me. Okay, mm. so I want to see him do good. I think he will have an improvement this year. The storyline that I'm looking for for this defensive front, of course, those edge rushers, who's going to be opposite side of John Grenard. As of right now, I really see Rasheen Green being that guy playing that role. And I see him and maybe Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes. I think those three players are going to do a very good job of being rotational guys. But I don't think this defense can afford to not have Roy Lopez out there as much as possible. Mm. What I think of Roy Lopez, and I've said this plenty of times on this show, and there was times last year he was able to show his potential. I think he can be like Vita Vea. But for Roy Lopez, he has to be out on the field more than what he did last year. He was a rookie. And I think that with Houston not necessarily having him cemented uh, early on and just trying to figure things out, that probably hindered him on the field. Uh, when we look at strength and conditioning, that's going to hinder you a lot when you play in mm-hmm. Texas and, and it get hot and you're not just ready yet. But he has looked phenomenal this offseason. His body looks good. Uh, and I, I expect for him to be on the field more times this year than he did last year. So that's the storyline for me. I really like Roy, Roy Lopez. I think that he can build something he can be be a part, excuse me, of something great for this defensive front in terms of stuffing the run. That is an area of Houston mm. that has been stinky for the past two years. Since they lost DJ Reader. They've never been the same since. Man, shout out to DJ Reader. I know oh, we DJ talk a lot about Deshaun and JJ and D-Hop, but I think the loss of DJ Reader might have been, what, maybe their second worst loss over the last two, three seasons? Because like I mentioned, John, that that run defense has not looked the same since he left. Yeah, it's not. And uh, shout out to DJ Reader. I will say that Roy Lopez played in forty six percent of defensive snaps for his hmm. rookie year. I want to see that hover around sixty. And for Vita Vea, his rookie year, he played in fifty nine percent of snaps. His very next year, sixty six. The year after that, 70. So both of these guys are in a position where year after year, you're going to be seeing more time on the playing field. Shout out to Vita Veda. I, mean, I really think Vita Veda, Vita Veda is a very phenomenal player. And I hope that Houston can get a player out of Royal Lopez like a Vita Veda. Thank you guys for checking out today's episode of the Locked On Texan Podcast. Make sure you are subscribed to the Locked On Texan Podcast on YouTube under the name Locked On Texans. Get your ass up in there and comment. Trainer camp on Friday. Ooh, I can't wait. And follow me on Twitter at John underscore Hickman 12. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y-D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace.